Kia ora friends, a warm welcome to you, especially if you're just engaging with us for the first time, maybe watching online or watching this a little bit later on. Just so great to have you with us. A very, very warm hello to all of our Bay Vineyardites, especially those that are meeting in some homes around the place. Awesome that you can gather together. And uh, for those that are isolating or watching on your own, again, that are part of our church, hello, grace and peace. Especially uh, lots of love to those that aren't feeling particularly well right now. We've got a number of people with COVID. And, um, and other bugs floating around. I've got a bit of a head cold, so my apologies for any sniffles or sneezes uh, in my talk. I will try and mute them, maybe in post-production or something. Uh, but um, yeah, grace and peace to everyone. Hey, we're in a bit of a, a series, a mini-series, uh, that uh, we were looking at this whole idea that God does some of his deepest work and can really only shape certain things within us during uh, tough times, desert times, wilderness times, times that are disorientating, times where there's a bit of suffering involved. And that actually God in this space wants to meet with us and wants to take us deeper into his heart and shape and form something in us that's truly beautiful. Last week we looked at um, this idea that uh, in these spaces we can learn to lament. We don't talk about this much in the Western church, but the Bible's filled with songs of lament where we bring our grief to God and, and process it maturely. We bring it to him and we find healing in his presence as we pour out our heart before him. And as we do that, because we bring it to the presence of God, that doesn't means that nihilism and darkness and brokenness don't overwhelm us. Uh, and we we're secondly last week talking about what does it look like to rest? Most of us are very tired. Some of us are exhausted. What does it look like for us to learn the unforced rhythms of grace, to learn the, the rhythms of God, the pace of God at this time, particularly uh, the theme of Sabbath rest that weaves its way through the, all of the Bible? Uh, how do we apply that wisdom to our lives so that we can uh, learn to rest in the way that God has hardwired us to rest? Um, overall, like the kind of theology that we're talking about on all this stuff is actually what we call uh, sanctification. These three concepts have been justified, sanctified, and glorified are key uh, theological doctrines to understand as a follower of Jesus. Uh, they're very important. Obviously, being justified, this is where we talk about, uh, well, no, Romans says it perfectly. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we've been made right with God, right? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a gift of grace. It's all the work of God, sending his son to die on our behalf, who's taken upon himself our sin and our brokenness in exchange, giving us his holiness and righteousness. It's pure grace, it's pure mercy, it's pure kindness, it's pure love, and it's all a gift. And by faith, we receive that gift uh, when we say, uh, yes, Lord, I receive you into my heart, into my life, and I receive that free gift that you've given to me. And, and all of our sin is washed. It's just the most beautiful, beautiful space. It's supposed to be, it's why we take communion uh, most weeks at Bay Vineyard when we can. It's the gospel enacted. It's the, it's the central heart of what the gospels are all about. Um, and then to be sanctified is to be made into the image of God. This is a work done by God. And then now we become more like Jesus in our work of sanctification. And one day he will bring the work to completion when we're glorified. So, so to be justified um, means I believe in Jesus. But to be sanctified, that's a person that's like, I follow Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Um, to be justified is that lovely moment of surrender. We say, yes, Lord, I receive that gift that you give me of your death on the cross for me. Uh, but what can happen is if that's all you've done, is that your life doesn't change too much over the, over the subsequent years. Because 
to be justified as us resting in the finished work of Jesus, but to be sanctified is for us to work with the Spirit and being transformed from glory to glory to, to become more like Jesus. When you choose to walk in that process of being sanctified, that's when you begin to live and walk into the resurrection life that Jesus died for. That's when you begin to experience more and more love, joy, and peace being part of your experienced reality, like embodied within you as every year goes past, you walk deeper into that in the sanctification place this is where you see the kingdom of God begin to break out around you and you partner with God for his kingdom Jesus talked about the fact that people in their lives will be varying amounts of fruit and uh, some people will live a very fruitful life for the things of the kingdom and other people not so much the degree to which you are sanctified is the degree to which that fruit of the kingdom breaks out around you uh, we we uh, so C.S. Lewis kind of unpacked this beautifully uh, and when he said this, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before and taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices all your life long, you are slowly turning the central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be, other, to be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. Very sobering words, but very true words in terms of the, the journey that we take. And so when we choose to be sanctified, we're saying, I want those little choices to be Jesus-inspired and informed choices, which have um, uh, an accumulative effect on the state of our souls and the impact of our lives. Tragically, what's happened throughout church history is that there's been a big focus on justification and not a lot of focus on sanctification. And so therefore, again, in church history, we see that people uh, who have been justified perhaps, but certainly not sanctified, have done things in the name of Jesus that are actually completely at odds to Jesus' teaching and in his example. And in particular, the use of violence in words or action to bring about change and at its worst, conversion by the sword. Now, in recent times in the West, we've lived in somewhat uh, relative, in perspective, perspective of what we're going through now, relative unity and peace. But over the last six or seven years, there's been this growing angst and division and the idolatry of politics. And now we live in this time where there are very strongly held and emotive views that are very different in family groups and church groups. And there's enormous emotion and hate and frustration and, um, and conflict happening more than ever before. And so uh, it is a time where we are being tested, not in terms of what our views are. Now, of course, I would hope that our views are biblically informed, but actually in how we express them. This is what is revealed in terms of uh, these moments as to the depth of our sanctification on some of this stuff. Uh, and so I want to look at a couple of key texts uh, that help um, filter where our hearts are at at the moment. 
Uh, and so we begin with Jesus. And he turns up and he begins teaching about the kingdom of God. Now, interestingly, in the first number of chapters in the Gospels, we don't actually know what that means. Here he's preaching about the kingdom of God, but there's nothing to explain what that is until uh, about Matthew 5 or Luke chapter 6. Jesus then begins to talk in detail around what this kingdom is all about and what he is here to bring into the world. Uh, and so in the Sermon on the Mount, he takes his disciples up the hill and, uh, and we read this from Matthew chapter 5 through to 7, the, the Sermon on the Mount, something to soak ourselves in. This is the kingdom manifesto. Jesus descends from the hill with his disciples and in Luke chapter 6, we see that he sees the crowds there. And so he gives a summarized version of the sermon of what he just told the boys up the hill uh, called the Sermon on the Plain. And to summarize what Jesus said here, this is effectively what he said. This is what his kingdom's all about. This is what we do if we are in his kingdom. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Turn the other cheek. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Love your enemies and be merciful as your father is merciful. Jesus repeats the love your enemies of things a number of times. He's like, And this is like living this out is actually what makes you a follower of Jesus. Jesus uh, would get a little salty sometimes. He'd be like, you can't say Jesus is Lord and not love your enemies. And that's why he would say things like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? I don't think you're understanding the Lord part of this whole thing. And I think the, uh, I think that Jesus would gently challenge a number of us. I know he's been challenging me. It's like, what does it look like? to actually live this out right now. As the early church wrestles with this, um, the apostles just begin to um, call their churches to live this life of love because this is actually just a life of self-giving love that Jesus lived out perfectly. And so Paul, I was talking about this last year, but um, Paul speaks to what this love looks like. He starts talking about the fact you can do all this stuff, but if you don't have love, it doesn't actually mean anything. Then he goes on to define what love is, and he gives it a definition that is so countercultural. It's so completely different to our kind of, you know, our culture's view of love is, you know, be kind to people and tolerate them. Um, Jesus, there's a big difference between agreement and love. Jesus didn't agree with people's sin and brokenness and, and funky worldviews and selfish behaviors, but he was drenched in love. And so Paul then says, this is what love is. Love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. This, I mean, this is a somewhat familiar passage for most of us, but under this time of pressure, I'm asking the question, like, is this in our hearts right now in terms of how we're navigating through it? There's so many other scriptures I've, I had to throw out for the sake of length. Of uh, We could be here all day looking at some of these texts. Let's just look at one more. Colossians 3. Paul challenges the church there. He's like, you, you've got to rid yourselves of all these things, of this anger and this rage and this malice and the slander and the filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in the, in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. 
That's a sanctification. Here there is no Gentile or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen, holy, dearly loved people, so that's the work of justification. He's, that, that's who you are in him. Clothe yourselves. There's the work of sanctification with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in unity. You know what's incredible about all of the, every passage I've read is that the context of it is that these passages have been written under foreign occupation. Some of these passages are written from Middle Eastern prisons. It's under enormous pressure that these, these beautiful, eloquent passages around what it looks like to live the way of love, to live the way of the kingdom, to live the way of Jesus, that's where these things are written. Because in that context, like their hearts have been tested and in some very small way, we have a taste, an understanding maybe of the environment from which these scriptures are written. They're beautiful. But they call us to a truer version of ourselves. They call out the best in us. They bring about the peaceable kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom of this world. It's from outside of us. The kingdom of heaven is, is not a kingdom of violence or anger or injustice. The kingdom of heaven breaks in though, not by using any of those tools, but by, the, by living out the sermon on the plane to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, to bless those who curse us, to turn the other cheek, to do unto others as you would have them do to you, to love your enemies and to be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Like it seems weak, it doesn't seem strong, but he, but he pulls like, yes, God chooses the foolish things of the world that he might put to shame that which is wise. And God chose the weak things of the world that he might put to shame the things that are strong. Ultimately, Jesus' death on the cross, that I'm so thrilled we're going to be looking at in depth as we go into Easter, is the perfect picture of self-giving sacrificial love, where he has got all sorts, everything thrown at him, curses and physical pain and violence and injustice. And he, he absorbs it rather than recycles it for it to simply repeat again. He absorbs it and extends forgiveness and mercy and kindness and love and invites us to pick up our cross and follow him and to live that out now. And the reality is there's an enormous temptation at the moment to let the way of the world shape our worldview about how change comes about in our, in our culture. But we are to be people of the kingdom of God, to be people of God, to learn what it looks like to live out our identity as kingdom sons and daughters, to, to, to live this out. Zand in his very beautiful Lent devotion that many of us are, walk, uh, are using at the moment called the Unvarnished Jesus says this, we think of love as mere sentiment while accepting violence as true power. Yet the whole life and ministry of Jesus is a reputation of this lie. When the other disciples learned how James and John were jockeying for positions of prominence in the coming kingdom, they were indignant at the two brothers. So Jesus explained to his disciples that though the way of empire is to seek domination, it shall not be so among you. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of love, not domination. 
As followers of Jesus, we are called to the practice of radical patience because the kingdom of God is without coercion. We persuade by love, witness, spirit, reason, rhetoric, and if need be by martyrdom, but never by force. This is what Alan Crider described as the patient ferment of the early church. It's like love is where the power is, not where the not violence. Violence just keeps recycling. Love is what changes the world, right? And and so how do we bring about change? And how do well Zan's bang on there by love and witness and spirit, the spirit of God enlightening people and rhetoric and reason and if need be my martyrdom. But all of that should just feel like love. And the early church lived this out beautifully, particularly when you look at the pressure and the pain they were under when it came to like near the reign of Nero. I mean, what he did to Christians in the church was just unreal. And yet they never, they, they, they stayed faithful to uh, Jesus calling and teaching on the Sermon on the Plain. They loved their enemies. They blessed those. I mean, they were so radically beautiful in their counterculture. And the change didn't happen like this. It was the patient ferment of the early church that brought about change. And we're under all this pressure in our time. And, and there's all this kind of like, oh, what do we so no, let's come back to how it happens. And let's align ourselves with the way of Jesus. G.K. Chesterton said it's not, and Christianity has tried and failed. It's just so really been truly tried. Never, it's so really been actually outworked. Uh, and, but you get glimpses of when it does. Uh, you know, uh, the, this picture went viral, this video of this Russian soldier that got captured. It was a teenager and, and the Ukrainians were feeding him and letting him talk to his mother on the phone. And again, it went viral. And I think there's something in people who are like, oh, that's different. That's the way it's like, that's how... The world has changed. It's not through more violence. It's by loving your enemies. The uh, Russian church tragically has supported the war uh, against uh, um, the Ukrainians, sold out to the power and the cozying up to the state that's gone on there, similar to what happened in German, Germany, the Christian German church in 1930, or the American evangelical church at times just capitulated to you know, the, connecting to, to the power of the state and things somehow, the, blah, blah, blah. But there's some exceptions, and this guy's an exception. Um, Ayan Burden, I think his name is, just is like, no, this is wrong. He said, we, we Christians cannot stand idly by when a brother kills brother, a Christian kills a Christian. It was enormous courage has stood up and said, no, this is not the way it is meant to be. We, we, we publicly rebuke what's going on here and we will peacefully protest what is, uh, what is happening. And so he's been arrested and uh, who knows what's going to happen. We should be praying for him. Um, in my own small way, I've been wanting to live this out and in our little you know, tension that we're living in at the moment. Um, because um, it's one thing to, to, um, to say, hey, these mandates are actually unjust and cruel. But again, how does that get expressed? Reflects character, godly character, sanctification or reflect. So I've been like, Lord, help me do this in such a way that, honestly, I haven't been public about this until now uh, because I'm primarily here to pastor people and help me get close to Jesus. But uh, I emailed our local MP and I've done a few other things as well. But it's like, um, but I want it to feel like love when I engage with people. Uh, and so I wrote a very gentle email 
commending them on stuff I think they've done well, apologizing for stuff I think the church hasn't done too well and owning uh, those mistakes. And then clearly asking um, that the mandate's finished and that the injustice that's tied up around them and the division that we have to sort of navigate, we, we all that over. Um, and I got this lovely reply just thanking me for the tone of my emails. And tragically they said though that it was the rare exception an email like that compared to what they're getting, not just from the average punter, but also from Christians. And it's like, that is just so tragic. It indicates how far we have drifted from the way of Jesus. I wonder what would happen in New Zealand if hundreds of thousands of Christians emailed gentle, gracious, loving, but clear communication to the powers that be and ask them to reconsider the change. Would they change the mandates? I'm not sure. I don't know. But I tell you what, it would further the reputation of the gospel of the church, of the followers of Jesus, where instead of in the corridors of power, that word being associated with all sorts of other stuff that it probably is now, that's associated with people that are kind and gracious and reasoned and, uh, and carry something of the Spirit. And, and, and witness to the love and the peaceable, loving way of Jesus. Uh, this went viral uh, this week. Uh, you may have uh, seen this around the place. I'll link to this in the description to, uh, so the, author, uh, the, the artist gets the credit. It's salt and gold. It's so beautiful. Um, but these, these pictures just are so moving of, again, the subversive way of Jesus to bring about change. That as Jesus stoops down and is lowly and humble in heart and that it melts hard hearts and then his love can just begin to come and bring healing and change and we're called to follow this example this is actually what we're called it's meant to feel like and look like amongst the followers of Jesus there's a difference between agreement and love Jesus didn't agree with so much of what he saw in terms of people's behavior and morals uh, people's worldviews Roman occupation, but it always felt like love. Everything Jesus did and said was motivated by love with the desire that would walk into life and healing. Like that's what it feels like. And that's where I think uh, in this message, I'm like, you know what? There's some certain things that God can teach us in wilderness times and desert times and times of, of pressure. Uh, and I think one of the greatest things we can learn is to live out the Sermon on the Mount again, to live out those convictions that we could love our enemies, that we would do good to those who hate us, bless those who curse us, turn the other cheek, that we would do unto others as you would have them do to you, that we would love our enemies and be merciful as our Father in heaven is merciful. Oh, I, as I read all that stuff out, I'm like, man, it was such a long way to go, right? <laughs> such a long way to go. But it's time, I think, we, we really wrestle with what it looks like to allow God to sanctify us deeply so that it's not just what we do, but it's how we do it that reflects his heart. That we wouldn't just be justified, but that we'd be so deeply sanctified that our lives would reflect Jesus' heart more and more and more. How do we become more like him? Friends, the only way we can do that is to spend time with the one who is all this stuff. Is to spend time in prayer. 
It's prayer that shapes us. It's prayer that, that as we daily come to him, asking him to shape and mold us and to sanctify us, like that's the place where it happens. That's the place where we can begin to be transformed from glory to glory so that our lives reflect the sermon on the plane. And so next week we're going to talk about that. Like, what? Are, how do we pray? And we're going to have a PDF that we'd love you to, to download and print out and to use as we go into Easter. So that as a whole church, we pray some prayers together every day, asking God to sanctify us and change us. But as we finish today, I'd like us actually to repent if we feel like we need to repent and to confess our sins. And so uh, this, like Jesus is standing in our midst, not... Not you know asking us to think about another person that we would love to have heard this message. <laughs> no, he's asking us to look at our, in our own hearts, to search our own hearts, and to invite God to shape us more deeply into His likeness. And so, what I'd like us to do as we finish is to say the confession. If you are in a group with other people, I'd love you to say it out loud together. And uh, if you're on your own, just to join us as we say this in our own hearts. But we say this just to humble ourselves before God, and once more to lean on the grace of God, to thank Him for His justice. We've got a long way to go. But as he's filled with grace and mercy and kindness and he's cheering us on. And the more that we choose to live this way, the more alive we come, we become because our hearts are lined up with the life-giving, healing way of Jesus. Let's confess our sins to the Lord this morning. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. So, Father, would you transform us from glory to glory? Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see what your way and your heart looks like and that it would move beyond being a theory or something we see but to something we, learn, we, we, we yearn to walk out in our own lives. Lord, I pray if there's even ways that we can express this stuff to someone in our world, you'd help us to bless and to love and to turn the other cheek and do all these. Lord, that would be merciful as you, our Heavenly Father, is merciful. That would be perfect in our mercy. And so, Lord God, help us come and by your spirit change us and lord i pray that in this season that's so tricky and challenging you'll purify your church so that it reflects your heart more and more and more we ask this in your beautiful and powerful name jesus amen amen